And now, a few minutes with two of my friends, who will soon be yours, the Techie and the Cowboy. All right, you know what time it is. It's time for another episode of the Techie and the Cowboy. My name is Alistair Hunt, a.k.a. the Techie. And this is T.W. Lawrence a.k.a. the Cowboy. So for this one, we're going to jump right into it. So we're talking about Device Delirium and his adults. And I have two teenagers and just a society. Are we addicted to our devices? What caused that? What can we do about it? How does that affect our spirit and our faith and our belief system? So we're just going to dive into it all and see where this conversation goes. That's the fun of the Techie and the Cowboy. So, T.W., we were talking a little bit pre-show about it, but, uh, you know, kind of give me your, your thoughts. You ran across some stuff about, you know, this new world of technology. Sure. It's one of those things that when you suggested this topic, I thought, wow, this is going to be a one-way conversation because, you know, you're the techie, I am not. So I'm not exactly the burning bridges down with my social media presence, as you well know. <laughs> and so I thought that, okay, well, I can see that there are a lot of people, including my grandkids, you know, that are just, you know, got to be there, got to be there, got to be there. And when I was on a trip recently, there were some bad connections to the internet for the whole group. And I could see people panicking, people my age, I'm going, wow, kind of get over yourselves. We're supposed to be out here and enjoying the peace and quiet. And you're worried because you can't get a text or whatever. So as I was telling you a few minutes ago, there was an article that popped up on one of the websites that I look at, and it, it was kind of a funny headline. It said, being friended by God actually gives you great comfort. And I thought, wow, that's kind of bizarre, and it must be a tongue-in-cheek thing. Well, I couldn't find the article that it was linked to, so I did some research, and I went, son of a gun, this is like a real thing. There's two things. One, Apparently, um, I believe it's CBS is going to start a new TV show where the premise is the protagonist, uh, who's kind of a DJ, who is, he's the son of a preacher, but he doesn't really believe kind of thing. And he gets a, a friend request from God. So then he says, okay, I know some of my friends are spoofing me. I'm going to find out who this is. So the episode story is him searching out who this is and he meets one person then another person along his path and at some point i guess he will reconcile with his father who's the preacher more so they i found when i was looking for that i was actually looking for a book that was called friending god and it was done by a person who was in the clergy and he would he used a term i'd never heard before and that was cyber theology. And I went, what? Cyber theology? Wow, has it gotten that far along and I have missed it? So apparently this writer's premise was that, hey, look, you know, we use the technology we have. But, you know, when the Chinese invented the compass in the 1200s, we used that to find our way. More modernly, we came up with radar and sonar and electronic navigation, and that helped us get around. Well, the metaphor continued until today that people are highly involved in communication. I mean, some people would say noise because they're always online. They're on their phones or looking at this or looking at that. But what are they doing? And part of the argument is they're trying to find meaning 
they're trying to find the answers to questions. And this writer advises they're really looking for God, whether they know it or not. What interesting uh, twist and, and viewpoint on that. Speaking of navigation and everything else like that, it's funny because you talk about using GPS and that to be able to get around now. And now just using GPS and having it adjust on the fly, I was joking with the guy about how it is that we would use the MAPSCO in order to be able to get placed. And then we were able to print out a custom route that only had your route on Yahoo Maps or, you know, the different map program, map quests, would be able to print it. But if there was a change in the road since they did it on either the map score or the map quest, you just had to figure it out. <laughs> you had to figure out where you were at in reference to the map. You had to figure out how it is to be able to get around. And you were constantly making sure that if you drove a lot, like I did whenever I was consulting, you had to make sure you had the, the latest whatever, MapsCo, MapQuest, in order to be able to get there. And now with GPS, it's on the fly telling us they can make changes in real time and on the fly telling us where we need to go to the point where people are so paranoid if it is that they can't get a GPS signal, if their GPS doesn't work, or, you know, what do I do? And they'll sit there for 20 minutes trying to figure it out, even over downloading. You still can go to Yahoo Maps or Google Maps, and it'll tell you a route without it having to turn by turn give you directions, but that just terrifies people just because it's become a social norm to be able to use GPS to get wherever it is you need to be. So it's a very good analogy that you did Well, now people are using social media to find out where it is that they need to be both spiritually and socially as well as improving your, what you said, the people on the ship being paranoid <laughs> whenever it is that they didn't have, uh, you know, any kind of access. We just watched a series. Our church actually hosted an event called Screenagers where it talked about teenagers hmm. And it's one of those movies that you can't rent. You have to actually go to a screening at a place that they have it. So different churches host it, different social uh, services places host it. They actually rent the DVD from the company and then they have a showing of it because you're supposed to have a discussion around the movie. And so anyways, we went to this at our church and it was, and they were talking about teenagers addiction to social media, but then they also touched on the parents' addiction to social media. So some of the people that they studied, the teenagers turned it back around on them. as like, well, you're always on social media as well. Or you're always on texting or talking on the phone as well. So where do you think it is that we learn this habit from, you know? And then they've, there's different things that they adopted, like having a box they put all their phones in whenever it's family time or when it's dinner time or when it's movie time to be able to have that disconnection from it. But one of the main characters was a girl who it is that, not to ruin the, the, the movie for you, but this is relevant, there was a girl who it is that had her mom had given her a flip phone so she could still have a way to be able to communicate, you know, and call back and forth. But she had to text the old school style, like <laughs> one a couple times they do the A and the B and the C. And so she was trying to plead her case to get an iPhone. She wanted a, a full smartphone. And so the mom was going back and forth in this documentary on whether she should get it. And then uh, once the teenager finally convinced and they had a list of rules and everything else and convinced her to get it, you know, she, her, she wanted to prove a point, the teenager, that she wasn't addicted to the phone. She's like, I'll give up my phone and, you know, for a whole day and show you I'm not addicted. And it's not like I'm going to go crazy without it. And an hour later, they, they cut to an hour later. She's like slamming herself up against the door and ah! <laughs> she's in the room and she's like going, she's really dealing with addiction withdrawals from not having her phone just like an hour or two into the whole day that she said she was going to be able to give up the phone. Uh, and then they talk about all the psychological background. There is an addiction portion of your brain that looks for the instant gratification of scrolling until you find something that, that triggers that pleasure center of your brain. Right. So, so people are truly addicted and they even have 
whole rehabilitation places for people that are addicted to video games, addicted to social media, and addicted to being online where they, just like it is that you wouldn't rehab from anything else, they take you away from that environment and teach you how it is to be able to survive without being attached to your video games and your devices and everything else like that. So this is a real thing that we're talking about. It's not just something that, you know, it's just a a social coffee, uh, you know, around coffee subject that you have. This is something that people are really dealing with, especially whenever it is that you deal with teenagers who now, and I was telling you this, TW, having two teenagers, there's so much social pressure for you to be able to be connected online and to be able to communicate via social media that it's, it's a whole different world from even whenever I was growing up, you know, and I grew up on that kind of on that, that tipping point where, you know, technology was around, but it wasn't prevalent. And as I got into college, technology was more prevalent. We had our social pages, but it wasn't so the smartphones weren't as much of a thing whenever it is that I was in college. So I kind of get to see both sides of the world, somebody who spends a lot of time on the computer and on the phone. I got to see both sides of the the coin because I'm in that whole not a millennial <laughs> group, but uh, just outside of it, pre-millennial maybe, <laughs> you want to call it. We were the, what do they call us? X generation, Z generation. I don't remember what they called us. Generation X. That's what it is that they called us, I think. So anyways, so I, I had, I asked them, I was like, what is it that is such, there's so much pressure about it now the epitome of cool is being on social media and exposing all of your life on social media to get that form of acceptance. It's instant gratification when you get a hundred likes on a photo because now all of a sudden you're accepting that circle. And then whenever it is, you only get five, 10 likes on something that you post, they'll go and they'll delete it because they don't want to have that whole inside. They don't want to ruin their image that they've created online. I think that uh, in some ways, social media is only part of it. I know, for example, I have, since I have no children of my own, but I have six grandkids, every now and then I get to do grandfather duties and truck them from one place to the other and that kind of thing. The little ones are still required to be in the the booster seats. And they complain because in my vehicle, I don't have any of those things that flip down. And the movies on the movie screens on the back of the seat. (laughs) And you can watch the video. And when one of them complained, I said, well, look out the window and look at the scenery. And he pitched a fit. And I thought that was one of the things that I used to love to do as a kid was just to, oh, look, uh, there's some mesquite trees. There's a cow. Look at the, oh, you know, kind of get the feel for the geology and that kind of stuff, which told me that his attention, he wanted something concise, something closer up, something that he could, a reality he could take with him. He didn't care if it was a Disney cartoon or what. He didn't want to deal with whatever was going by and to force him to watch the scenery, you know, was pain. You know, I thought I was going to be arrested by defects or somebody for cruelty to kids because I didn't have a video in my truck. Then uh, I, you know, the other day we stopped by, there was an intersection, we stopped there And one of the stores had put up a sign. They like to put up funny signs. And it said, congratulate your, it says, hey, kids, congratulate your parents. They got through high school, and then parentheses, and college without Google. (laughs) And you can go deep with it, you know, saying that, you know, he wanted something to take with them. Or you can go shallow with it. The fact that kids want what it is that they know. So you take it to, again, going back and, and talking to 
the kids and just younger people and everything else like that. And I was talking to another person that was same age as me. And we used to go out and ride bikes just because we had no choice, right? We had Nintendo, we had, you know, all the different video games, but we used to have to go out and ride bikes in order to be able to see us with no social media around. You socialize by either going over to your friend's house or them coming outside and you going someplace to play together different world or is it that we could go outside no text messaging no phone play all day parents wouldn't worry as long as we're back by the time the street light came back on we were good to go we rode our bikes all over the neighborhood at least five mile radius all over the neighborhood we timed it so we knew how long it would take for us to be able to get back home with no communication with home and there really wasn't any worry because we were all together and it seemed like a different world back then where you don't see all the stuff happening and snatchings and everything else like that or if they were happening they weren't so publicized by the media and so that was one part of it second part of it was is that well i was a computer guy i loved being on the computer all the time right because i built computers and i love to be able to do that put them together and that whole portion of it. And I have friends that were not. So the social pressure for me was to get off the computer and to go out and do stuff. And then whenever I came back home, I would do the computer, whatever it is that was off time that I didn't see my friends. Flip it now, the social norm is stay on your computer. You don't really have to go out. Like there's no sense of urgency to be able to go out and hang with friends outside of school because you see them and exactly what they're doing and have 100% communication with them on Facebook and Snapchat and IG and all these different places. So you're constantly connected to a world which is what has caused cyberbullying to be such a big issue. Because before, if you were getting bullied at school, you got to leave school, you got to come home, get away from it. And then you only had to deal with it whenever you went back to school. Now, with the cyber connection, it's 24-7. You're always on and that you're getting constantly harassed all the time by these same people who it is not only harassing you at school, but also online as well. Well, there's a, as you know, I like to get up early in the morning and, and walk. I've got a route that's one lap is 1.1 miles. And it takes me by you know, twice because I make the turn there and then I come back. This one house that has a steep driveway and the high school bus stops there. So the kids will stack up the driveway as they're waiting for the bus. And they're from different backgrounds. There are Asian kids there. There's Hispanics. There's Anglo kids. And there's Indian kids there. And what is interesting is there'll be like 12 or 14 of them standing there and they're all staring down at a device and not talking to each other, which I think is a shame because as you know me, I, I love conversations. <laughs> I've never met a stranger. I'll talk to, you know, absolutely anybody. So I think it's a shame they're not learning that. But the other thing is it's very easy for each one of those ethnic groups, if that's how they're divided, to stay within their ethnic group and not become an inclusion. There, I would say there's not as much sense of neighborhood as there is of their small unit identity, which they can maintain by being within themselves and only texting, video chatting, whatever, with their group of people. So they don't have to overlap with anybody else. It's kind of like uh, if this happened in the 1860s, 1870s, the Irish and Italian would have never become a woven part of American society because they would have stayed by themselves and only chatted with other Irish and Italians. I think that is a stumbling block and a feature that is, I feel unfortunate about that is, is because you don't mix with other people and reach out and touch them and, you know, that kind of stuff. 
Do you remember the advertisement where it says reach out and touch someone? They were talking oh, about yeah, that. way back in the day because my dad used to work for uh, AT&T Southwestern Bells. Yeah, so, yeah. so now, now it would be reach out and text someone. There it is. <laughs> but, you know, we often want to point this at teenagers because that's the easiest and most obvious because they've only grown up in an environment where this is the norm, right? So for them, you, they truly panic. If it, you thought your boat panicked of all people your age, whatever, there was no connection. Let that happen on a, on a boat full of millennials <laughs> that don't know how to communicate communicate anymore but just to show you or just an example i wish i would have filmed it it almost would seem like a documentary an example of how people don't know how to communicate anymore or now the phone has become uh almost like a what do you call it? a safety blanket right uh so it's almost become a safety blanket in their communication so wendy and i were we went out to eat we were on one of our trips so we we're out to eat and this place actually had a higher level and a lower level so you could actually overlook the lower level where you could see everybody else that was downstairs and so i, I was watching because it intrigued me when i looked around you would see a group of people. I saw this big group of people come in. They all seemed like they hadn't seen each other in a long time or they were just happy to be able to see each other, everything else like that. And then they, you know, there was a little bit of mingling and they sat down, they got their seats. And as soon as it is that the conversation, all the surface level stuff, have you been, blah, 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 went out, immediately everybody pulled out their phones and they started texting, checking social media, scrolling or whatever else to kill the awkwardness of silence or have to create more conversation outside of the surface stuff. It's so easy for you to be able to look at your phone and that's an excuse that you're not talking. And since everybody's doing it, you have this whole table of people who haven't seen each other in a long time and everybody is on their phone scrolling, texting, you know, are they taking selfies to be able and then go immediately to posting or whatever else. And so it was just a different. And then I looked at the whole restaurant and this was the dynamic at each table. You had couples that were on a date and they were both on their phones texting. You had families that were there as a family and everybody was on their phone texting if they had kids that were of age that have cell phones. And that's a whole different discussion for a whole different days because you're seeing kids that are way young with smartphones and they're on them too, you know, going on. To the point where there was even a couple with a young kid who's having a fit and they're not paying any attention to the kid. They're both on their phone scrolling and texting. And like you said, they hand him a tablet so that way he can watch his videos or whatever else and be quiet. And that was their way of subduing him so they can get back to their texting and scrolling on the phone. So a social dynamics is not just teenagers, millennials is what we like to point. But I think the social dynamics have changed thanks to social media. Yes, we have uh, a men's group that meets uh, on Friday mornings at 6.30 a.m. They have a deal where there is, they have a big basket. And when you come into this meeting, you put your cell phone, leave it at the door. I think that's necessary now. I think it's necessary to get people to actually stop being, again, it's an addiction that's depending. If you want to go to a rehab for anything, let's just say alcohol, you want to go to rehab, they have to put you in an environment where you don't have access to whatever it is that you're addicted to. That's why at these family camps now, they have a rule that you have to check in your cell phones whenever you first get in. So if there's an emergency, you can go back and get it, or you have to check it in your car or whatever else. And that's so that you can break this addiction that people have and get them to really focus on why it is that they're there. But it's gotten to the point where you have to have that rule in place. You almost have to have a method for them to be able to check their their technology uh, so that you're forcing them to be able to have these interactions. And then all of a sudden, this whole other world, while there is nature around us, I can have conversations with my kids without fighting. Uh, I just need to be able to focus more on it. Sure. My wife and I have a rule that we we go out and we have what we call date date nights or date lunches or that kind of stuff. The rule is you've got a choice. You can either leave it in the car until our date is over, 
or you can have it in your back pocket or your purse, but it must be switched off, not on mute, off. You see, us having three kids, two teenagers, one in elementary school, for us not being able to get a hold if they need something immediately is, is not even in our spectrum. So we do have that rule in day night that we're not allowed to be able to get on social media and not get on the phone, but we do have our phones with us just in case something goes down that may be crucial, especially now having a teenager who it is that's of age to be able to do more stuff outside and finish with school, uh, you know, to be able to be connected to them. So yes, I get it. I get the whole taking them away for date night. We do the exact same thing. And same thing with family movie night and family time. The phones go up because everybody's there. Now in that instance, we can turn everything off and there's no reason to go to your phone at all because everybody's in presence, right? <laughs> so I think it's a little bit different whenever it is that you have kids that can and will get into things, right? Yes, and uh, technology is also adding an element of, I'm not sure exactly what, uh, distraction, danger, something. Uh, you might know that I was in the last group of young Americans that was drafted to fight in the Vietnam War. So when you know the group of people went overseas, you were out of touch except for scribbling a note or using the technology of the day, using a small reel-to-reel tape recorder, tape recording your message, dropping it in an envelope, it got home a month later. And if you got a reply, it could be six months after that. So basically, you were out of touch. But what that did, and this is kind of the greater point that we're working on, you were able to focus on basically not getting killed. Because you because you weren't distracted by, oh, you know, the dog ate my homework back home, you know, whatever. Today, you, in the Heroes Care outfit that I work with, one of the things that happens that we notice when we deal with service members who have come back and they're making the adjustment to regular family life again, is they're saying that I couldn't fully concentrate on my job. And there were people shooting at us you know, some of these guys, because every night when I got home, given the time zone difference, I would make a Skype or a FaceTime or some kind of communication back home. And my wife would give me all of the things that happened that day in the family, the teenager was acting out. And now I've got to deal with this as though I am there. And And so the technology has ratcheted up the anxiety level for people who should be basically left more alone, you could argue. But tech, it, has, it has changed serving because even on a ship, you're on a ship and you're just doing your thing, it's kind of like, oh God, now I got to deal with all these issues in addition to what I'm doing on the ship as, as though I were home, but I am not home. So it's kind of that technology has complicated that thing. And so it kind of gets to... The question that the, the, that author posed that I talked about, what are you looking for when you use these devices? Where, you know, where, is, where is that leading you? Me, yeah, if I wanted to look for something like that, I'd turn it off. I'd do something else. I would seek out people. I would read books, that kind of thing. You know, I wouldn't try to see if I could text God and find him on the internet somewhere. You're the techie. What, what are people looking for? So again, so it's, it's, I guess it's different in generations. So you know different. It's kind of like whenever it is that, uh, you know, a friend of mine went and visited a, a third world country. And he said it seemed like the more he got out into uh, the country, it was Africa, they went to go visit. And he said the further we got and the poorer the people were, it seemed like the more happier they were. 
And at first he couldn't understand. He's like, how can you have less and less and less and be more and more happy? And then he had the realization that they didn't know that the other stuff exists. Like they only know the life that they're in. So they only know, you know, going outside and playing. They don't know having shoes because nobody in the village has shoes, right? They don't know that they're, they don't have the most modern clothes or most modern technology because they are, they're living in an environment with that. So they're happy with what it is that they have. So for you, you say, okay, I'll just go read a book. I'll just go whatever else. But now we're bringing up a generation of people who don't read books. They go online and they read what they need to do. They don't use textbooks in the school anymore. They use tablets and they use computers and they're requiring that the kids have smartphones so they can look stuff up and do their homework and interact with the teacher on their smartphones versus in the books. So you came up in a different era in a different environment where it is that that's the norm, going to read, going outside, going to take a walk, all that kind of stuff is part of what you used to do before technology was there. What about these people who came up in an environment where that wasn't the norm? They don't know what it is that they don't know, right? Yep, I understand. It's, it's like dealing with what my elder stepdaughter. She'll text me a question and I'll give an answer. Then she'll text back and I can see that she's not fully understood the answer that I've given her. So I'll, I'll stop texting. I'll pick up the phone. I'll call her to answer the question and do more direct communication. And the first thing she says, why are you calling me? And I said, because in two or three minutes, we can wrap up this issue rather than me spending 45 minutes going back and forth with text correcting things and honing in on the, to me, at a certain point, texting and emails are inefficient way of communicating. One of my team members straight told me, he said, look, if you don't text me first and you call me, I don't know what you're calling about, so I'm not going to answer. So, And I don't listen to voice messages, so you might as well just go ahead and text me because the chances of me getting your voicemail, I check them every once every month and I, just so I can clear them out. So I'm not going to get your voice message. So text me first. Let me know why you're calling. Even if it is that you're going to tell me that you're calling me, text me so that way I know to answer. Other than that, I'm not going to answer the phone when you could have just as easily texted me and I may be able to. And he looks at it as a time efficiency thing. He said, just to be able to respect my time, we'll spend two, three minutes on the phone talking about whatever else and get distracted versus I can shoot a text back. And even if I'm someplace where I can't talk, then I can possibly text you back and answer. So he justifies his lack of talking on the phone as a time efficiency thing, which I can see in his reality how that would make sense, right? Right. From your perspective, you're saying that, You'd rather just, and I'm the same way, if we're going back and forth on text and you're not getting it, pick up the phone and call me. Uh, let's jump on Zoom so we could see each other. I'm, I'm more of a visual interaction person. So let's jump on Zoom and I bet you we can knock it out quicker than us going back and forth on text over and over again and me having to take the effort to, to type. Well, can you imagine what a conversation would be like if, um, let's just, for example, if we met and our conversation went from one to the other as though we were texting with a short burst of, uh, of that kind of stuff, how awkward that would be when you're face to face? Yeah, it would be awkward, but it's, it's reality of some people. I've seen my two teenagers be in the same room texting each other back and forth versus talking, right? It's just, it's just again, it's about what is the social norm or what is the, that people are used to, whatever it is. She's on one side of the room, he's on the other side. And I'm like, and they're laughing at the same time. So I know they're interacting. I was like, are y'all messaging and texting each other back and forth? You see what I mean? So it's, it's again, now people have forgotten or, for, or never learned how it is to be able to socialize in person, which goes back to my story of the people at the table all going, they might've been even commenting on the picture that the person just posted across the table from them instead of talking about the time that they have. Take it a step further. We go to a lot of events for our kids. Like Austin used to run track and Riley's in choir. And then Alec has a whole bunch of different stuff. And so people do not watch the event anymore. They watch the event through the screens of their phone. 
because they're so busy trying to quote unquote capture and record it. So that way they can probably never watch it later. Let's be real. Most of the people, most of the, the things that we do is to either post on social media so other people can give us those, that instant gratification, those likes, or we say we're going to watch it later on and we want to keep it for memories, but the chances of us going back and watching it are very, very slim. Or maybe we do, right? But the whole fact of the matter is they're missing what's happening in real world because they're looking at it not in the big picture. They're not getting a tripod and putting up their phone and recording it. They're watching, they had the phone in front of their face and they're watching the phone instead of watching their kid on the stage. Or they're watching the phone instead of watching their kid get that award. Or they're whatever, or they're taking pictures and you'll see it. You'll look, I'll sit in the back and I'll look and like 90% of the parents have their phone up and they're recording, and I'm just as guilty. I'm not trying to say it. I'm not doing the exact same thing until I realized that, and I remember, again, I like to listen to a lot of personal development. I remember personal development. They say, make sure that you're in the moment. You're not missing your kid's big moment because it is that you're trying to make sure you have the best shot and the best filter and the best view and everything else like that. Again, it's just the standards of society has changed. So moving into, like, what's the solution? Like, how is it that you begin to, and how does this affect your spirit? And how is it that you begin to make the adjustments so it is that you're not, in device delirium. So you're not, you're curing this addiction that you may have to your phone or to social media or to technology. Here's the techie saying, cure your addiction to technology. Never, <laughs> never cure your addiction to technology is what my, my inner techie is screaming. But you know, finding that balance, right? <laughs> finding that balance in, in what you're doing. Well, there are trade-offs to everything. One is uh, for me, interesting, I can pull up you version of the Bible and search for a topic and read on it while I'm waiting at Starbucks for my whoever I'm meeting with to show up if they're late, that kind of thing. Or if I'm uh, sitting waiting for class to start. So it's kind of like, okay, I've got some what otherwise would be downtime. I didn't bring all that reference material with me, but I can quickly find it online by doing it this way. So I find, uh, I find that interesting. The one thing that <laughs> you can answer this as a technology guy that I find distracting about that is if I use my iPad to search, if I use my laptop to search, and if I use my cell phone to search using the same descriptor, I'm led to three different places slightly. You never hit the same one each time. Even so, even if you use the laptop over and over again, you use the same descriptor. You never come back to the place unless you bookmark it. <laughs> you just kind of like, it's a pig in the poke. And I, I, I don't understand that. It's kind of like, why can't I just pick up where I left off? I have, now I have to search for, for where that was. Did you say pig in the poke? I've never heard that before. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. <laughs> pig in the poke. I'm sorry. That, that, that just that caught me off guard with that. But yeah, yeah you're right. And there's so much information out there. Uh, you know, that it's hard to be able to to get back unless you bookmark or I have a I actually send myself links. I text myself links to places that way I can get to it on my different devices and everything else like that. So there's definitely advantages to technology. But I'm talking more about the use of technology and how it is that it affects your spirit, because here's what it is that I found just uh, doing a social experiment with myself, doing a social experiment with family, talking to other people is that technology has the way to be of being able to positively or negatively affect your spirit, depending on how it is that you use it. Okay, so my prime example, and this is the one of the places I made big changes in my life and, and immediately noticed the difference. With this addiction to technology that we have and with it being such a part of our social norm, before we go to bed, a lot of people, the last thing that they do is they check their text messages or check social media, and then they scroll, 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 and then they go to sleep. 
And then it's been it's been proven that whatever it is that you do right before it is that you go to bed is what your subconscious focuses on the entire time that you're asleep because your brain loves to solve problems. So it's trying to process the information that you've given it. And if the last thing you did was scroll through social media and saw whether good or bad the information on there, your brain is still processing that stuff while it is at your sleep, which could cause a lot less restful sleep or even more anxiety or whatever else. Then the first thing that they do is that you get up, you check your text messages, you check your phone to see if anybody called, and you check your social media to see what everybody was doing while it is that you were sleeping or what they've done this morning so far. So again, you're bookending your day with social media before you go to sleep, social media whenever you first wake up, and then if it is that you are trying to do any kind of spiritual development, go to you version, read the Bible, your brain has already gone one direction before you can even get to that. One of my mentors taught me the last thing that you want to be able to do before you go to bed is to be able to give gratitude. And that should be the last thing, whether it's to write in a gratitude journal or whether it's just laying there and think about all the things that you're grateful for. So now you're giving your subconscious mind a different thing to be able to focus on while it is that you're sleeping. Now it's focusing on all the solutions to the problems, or all the things that you're grateful for versus more anxiety and more problems, which helps you to get a restful sleep. And this really made a big difference for me. But then the second part of that is, First thing, when you wake up, when you get out of bed, you give prayers of gratitude and thanks. It could be breath prayers like we've talked about in previous episodes of Taking the Cowboy. So go back and, and definitely listen to one on breath prayers, right, and praying. But you give that and then you immediately do your spiritual development then. So whether it's reading the Bible, whether it's going on version, whatever it is, you do that first. Because that's when your brain is most open and it's not filled with anything besides gratitude that you start off with. And now the word, the spirit, and all of the stuff that's going to go into your brain that's positive. Now, when you get a text message, a social media message, an uh, instant message, you're in a better place to be able to deal with it because you've already fed the spirit first. And you'll react a whole lot differently to the stuff that you process. To the point where he said he puts his Bible on his keyboard, so or he puts his Bible on top of his phone so he knows not to break that habit of going to check his email or check his <laughs> phone first. He has to pick up his Bible, and then he's like, well, since I already picked it up, it's about setting healthy triggers so that way he knows what is most important and what happens first. And I tried that, and it worked. And I got away from it, and I noticed the difference. I just now recently started going back to it. It's amazing how differently you feel both while you're sleeping and you wake up in a different place, and then also during the day whenever it is that you fed your spirit the right thing at the very beginning. So that's one of the solutions I would suggest that that our listeners try is that try that. Try bookending your day. That's what I call it. Bookending your day. At the end of the day, give some form of gratitude. I like the gratitude journal because when you write down all your blessings and then it's in a journal and then you're having a bad day, you can go back and look at that book of blessings and realize how much that you're actually thankful for, how blessed you are. And it helps to be able to turn your day around, right? Because you're only allowed to write down positive things in that book. But even if it is that you don't want to go that far, if, if you want to do it, this advantage of trying to do it on your phone and your technology is that you got notifications that pop up and the chances of you seeing a rabbit and following that rabbit down the rabbit hole, right, which is a text message notification, is high. So sometimes writing is better. But at least spend some time giving gratitude and just list out 10 things that you're grateful for before it is that you go to bed, uh, after it is that you do your prayers. And so that's the last thing that your brain focuses on. So that's one of my solutions. <clears throat> Okay. Well, one of uh, obviously an advantage for technology that uh, we can use in my life and your life is the fact that we're doing this podcast, which right. is some, and the fact that we met uh, in January 
and we have maintained what I think is a very healthy spiritual relationship as prayer partners and whatever else you would call us because of technology through the zoom software we're able to see each other and we have these recurring meetings which if this technology were not available we'd have drifted apart a long time ago yeah we would have never thought of doing the podcast because we (laughs) thought we're having such interesting conversations on zoom we ought to record it in case it might be able to help somebody uh so that's why it is that we're here now so yeah technology definitely has its, its place when controlled and when done used the right way Right. The other thing is in the men's ministry at our church, they have, I forgot what it's called, but it's basically a pornography addiction support group. And I was talking with the men's minister this weekend. We were doing the thing with the horseshoes and I was asking how his work was going. And he said, I told him how many people that we had done horseshoes for and this kind of stuff. And he said, I'm glad that's growing. He said, unfortunately, the other thing that's growing for us is the number of people showing up at those support group meetings. And I was just thinking, geez, and it's, it's not just young guys, it's across the age spectrum. And uh, so, and that's only available because of technology. It's gotten to the point where I saw a listing somewhere and it said that it named one of the websites, I won't mention it, but it was like on the top 10 most viewed websites on the web. Yeah, you know? I believe it. This is more easy access, free access. Because back in the day, again, I was talking to uh, actually one of the older <laughs> spiritual leaders. He said that, you know, pornography has been around since the beginning of time. It seems like that he can remember since he was little, whenever people used to sneak the magazines and everything else like that. But the access to it now and the access to the free version of it now. And you add on top of that, and I, as a parent, I'll second this one, movies and TV now have desensitized people to what is not considered acceptable. Now a PG-13 movie could get just as raw as a rated R movie. And, and you have, you know, very soft core pornography going on in TV shows and in movies. And now with Netflix releasing TV shows, they don't have to follow underneath the same rules that they do as a show that's broadcasted on live TV. They can actually have a little bit edgy. We, we downloaded a series. We're a big Marvel family. We love the Marvel movies and we go watch them as a family. And that's been uh, something that Alec, Austin, and I have done since it is that Austin was little, right? We watch all the series. We watch all the, the different, uh, you know, character series individually. And then we watch the Avengers series and everything else. So Marvel has a TV show series and their TV show series is a lot different than their movies. Even though their movies are edgy and they have jokes that are inappropriate in there that you can kind of smooth over whatever else, their TV shows are really, really raw. So there's a Cloak and Dagger was one of the ones that we wanted to be able to see because I remember reading the Cloak and Dagger comic books and I lo- that was one of my favorite comic book series, right? Uh, so I thought, okay, it's a Marvel series. It didn't get that bad ratings, which you can't even, what parents think are not that bad anymore. Can't even go by that. And we watch it and, and there's like sex scenes all throughout it. I mean, like raw, <laughs> like raw stuff on this, right? And so, and we watch some of their, and the language on it and the, and the way that they use the different terms and everything else like that way beyond what I want my eight-year-old to hear. That's just my personal opinion, right? And so I, it made me think, I was like, I have to pre-screen these movies and ask people who it is I know that have the same set of value systems I have that have watched these movies about what they think before it is that we can walk into a PG-13. And, and by the way, uh, it's been proven that they don't want to make PG movies because nobody will go see them. So they'll, they'll throw something in there to make it PG-13 or make it rated R uh, just so it is that they can get more people to see it or else if they don't get that rating, less people, they get less uh, uh, viewing and they get less money whenever they make a PG movie versus when they make a PG-13 movie. And they make less money when they make a PG-13 than they do a rated R. So the selection of PG movies 
is little or non-existent unless it is you start going to the really kiddie movies, right? Now I got teenagers and an eight-year-old who's on that edge of, I don't want to watch kiddie movies anymore because I'm a big boy, uh, but I think I should watch what the big brother's sister watches, which we don't allow, right? But so it makes it difficult as a parent to be able to even judge and to be able to help talk about, because we like to talk about it. We don't like the sense we like to talk about what it is that your kids are seeing. It's so easily available. I think that goes to where it is that you're seeing that increase and pornography addiction, because all it takes is opening that door a little bit, and then next thing you know, they explore a little bit more, and next thing you know, they run across one of these free sites that go all out, and then that's where it is that it, it begins. Right. We were in class last night, we were reading a script to look at how to format the script and everything, and in part, it was one of the students from an earlier class that the guy had taught, and it mentioned this website that was number four, uh, the pornography thing. It, it was mentioned as an element in there, and I was thinking, that's really a shame. We've, we've, you know, it's bad enough. We've got it. Now you're bringing it up in this draft of a movie. R- really? Really? Because like, come on, guys. What? Yeah, yeah. It's, again, desensitizing everybody to it. And uh, we'll take it one step further, desensitizing to you being able to participate in that and your spiritual balance, too, is part of what's caused the issue. Now, let me make it clear. There's no judgment going on here at all. I mean, we've all had our issues and we all fell short and all of us have our cross to bear in some place. So there's no judgment going on to people who are in this. All we're trying to do is we're just trying to give you ways to be able to, A, start the conversation about these things, and then B, things that we've done or that we've seen, or we're even asking the question, what has worked for you in overcoming some of these different challenges and issues that you've had with technology? We have a Facebook page, we have a Twitter, and we also have a place where it is that you could actually have comments in all of our different social media platforms. Mm -hmm. Tell us different ways it is that you've been able to uh, you know, overcome your addiction to technology, if that's what you have, or be able to help your kids to be able to to uh, to use technology responsibly. We want to be able to hear and give feedback and make this a forum, a place where it is that you can actually uh, come to be able to figure things out, start the conversation, figure out how to start the conversation. That's kind of our purpose <laughs> with Techie and the Cowboy. Yeah, please contact us on our social media to tell us how <laughs> social yeah, media is. That's it. I mean, you're on there anyways. Look, if you've had an issue, technology addiction is not about getting rid of it completely and totally, right? Unless it is that you have to do that. Some people, they, they have to completely eliminate it for a life. But let's be real. The chances of you eliminating, unless it is you go off the grid, right, and become a mountain person, the, the chances of you eliminating technology completely out of your life is very, very, very small percentage of people that are able to do that. It's just about more about using it more responsibly and making sure that you're taking care of your spiritual life, making sure you're taking care of your family life, and it's not causing damage to those areas. That's my thought as the techie, is that I want to be able to responsibly use. I'm not going to get myself off of social media, but I have limited how I use social media. I have unfollowed people who it is that do not affect my spirit positively. My rule is, if you're cussing, if you're ranting, if you're raging, I'm unfollowing you. I'm not going to unfriend you because maybe it is that you need to see the positivity that I post, right? But uh, I'm unfollowing you because I don't want that resonating with my spirit. Same way whenever I decided I was not going to listen to uh, certain genres of music anymore, unless it is that it is positive and uplifting in the inside of that genre, right? And no matter what genre it is, right? If you have negativity in your music and you're talking about something that does not resonate with my spiritual belief system, I'll shut it down and I'll turn it off. Same thing with the kids. They know not to play that stuff around me because I, it's not what it is that I want going into my spirit. And I'm going to want to feed my spirit with that. So same thing with social media and technology, how is it affecting your spirit? And is that something you need to change is the question I'm asking. 
So yeah, go out and on social media and reach out to us and say, hey, this is what it is that I'm implementing and it's working for me, uh, you know, and reach out to us that way, right? Why not? And hopefully with our next broadcast, we won't find a subject uh, that's such a trigger for the techie, okay? <laughs> not a trigger at all. Not a trigger at all. I just, I'm, I'm interested. I'm very interested in, in yeah. what it is that people are doing to be able to do this because this is real life problems. This is real world problems. This is something that I deal with every day. Uh, with my teenagers, this is something I deal with. I, you know, I'm a health coach and I have a team of coaches. So we talk about all the time, the balance of life and how it is that you balance life when it comes to technology. We talk about what it is. There's, there's a, uh, you know, a challenge that's going on right now on social media with all the different political things that are going on. And so the balance is, do you delve into that and become a part of that? Or do you work on solutions on the back end? Do you have to broadcast what it is that you do and potentially create more of a situation? Or do you just go to work and you have one-on-one -on -one conversations to be able to deal with the, the whatever it is that's going on, right? How is it that you're using social media? Are you using it to be able to create anger and fear in the world? Are you using it to be able to, to rile things up? Are you on there just trying to get a reaction? Or are you using it, you know, professionally? So these are the things that I want to know. These are the things that, that I deal with on a regular basis. So that's why if I sound fired up, that's why. <laughs> okay. I'm convinced. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So I guess this will wrap up our, our episode of the Techie and the Cowboy. So we want to hear from you. Make sure you go subscribe to our podcast. You can go on any of the platforms. We're on iTunes. We're on Spotify. We're on Anchor. We're on all the different podcast platforms. So make sure it is that you go on one of those and subscribe. That's how it is that we know that you, we're doing content that you really want to hear. Also give us feedback. So definitely reach out to us. Tell us that you're enjoying the show. Tell us how much it is that you love the show. We'll keep producing content and we'll keep on uh, talking about the stuff that matters to us, right? So this is Alistair Hunt, a.k.a. The Techie. And this is T.W. Lawrence, a.k.a. The Cowboy. Maybe we'll talk about cowboy stuff next time so you get all fired up, T.W. But <laughs> outside of that, we're out. So let's kick that country outro music. That's it for this episode. Join us again next time for The Techie and the Cowboy. Hit us up on our website, thetechieandthecowboy.com. Let us know what y'all think.